the most common mistake that early stage startups make is that they fail to position their products deliberately. Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're not getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think. What I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Built to Scale with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. For those listening for the first time in this bi-weekly podcast, the goal is to have meaningful conversations with interesting people with the focus being on helping B2B SaaS companies build repeatable, scalable growth. In this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with April Dunford on the ins and outs of product positioning. And when it comes to this topic, April definitely knows her stuff. In fact, throughout her illustrious career, she's brought 16 products to market, has held executive roles at seven startups, with four of them being acquired. And and has also held executive roles at enterprise companies like IBM and Nortel. Today, April is a speaker and in-demand consultant to dozens of high-growth tech companies specializing in one thing, you guessed it, product positioning. And if that wasn't enough, she's also the author of the upcoming book, Obviously Awesome, How to Nail Product Positioning So That Your Customers Get It, Buy It, and Love It, which is available this upcoming May. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, we now have visual on target. April, welcome to the show. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Not a problem. So I, I've been really looking forward to this episode because I'm sure as you know, getting a, a product's positioning right is really crucial for go-to-market success. But ironically, it, it sometimes often seems to be overlooked or misunderstood or maybe not... not the or process, both. Yeah, or both, or just not <laughs> done correctly. So I thought I'd start off by kind of getting your take on the definition of positioning and maybe follow that up by why it's so misunderstood. Yeah, this is a this is a good place to start. So most people that I work with, you know, positioning is an old concept. It's been around since the early 80s. So most people that I work with, they feel like they know what it is, but if you ask them to define it, you get a lot of funky different definitions. So if we look back at the very beginning of positioning, which was the, the concept was sort of invented by these guys, Rise and Trout, who wrote this book, Positioning yes. the Battle for Your Mind. And so everybody in marketing has read that book. Um, some of the founders I work with have read that book. Um, and the way they described it is they said, look, um, there's, there's too many products vying for attention from people and, and buyers are overwhelmed with that. And we can no longer just differentiate our products by image alone. We actually have to create a space in the users, in the buyer's mind that is unique and describes why we're really good at something um, better at something, in fact, than all the other options they have out there. The way I define positioning is it's the way that you plan to win in a specific market doing something that a very defined target market cares a lot about, which is a really super broad definition when you think about it. Like it's almost, you could almost argue that it's the definition of your go-to-market strategy. It certainly encompasses more than just what we would traditionally think of as marketing, um, but that's what positioning is. So part of the reason why it's so important is because in the act of doing positioning, you're defining 
what your key differentiators are, what the key value is that you provide to customers. You're getting really tight on a definition of exactly who your best fit customers are. And you are deliberately deciding this is the market we're going to play in and this is how we're going to win, which is a lot of stuff. No, for sure. And I mean, it's a, it's a good way to unpack it. From your experience, what are still some of the most common mistakes companies or teams are making when it comes to positioning? Yeah. So by far, the most common mistake that early stage startups make is that they fail to position their products deliberately. So this is what I mean by that. So normally when we look at this is a new product, um, when inventors or entrepreneurs first have the idea of the product, they usually think about how they're going to build something that's better than what exists already. So they say, you know what, CRM sucks. I'm going to build a better CRM that, you know, does a better job on mobile or does these other things better. Or you say, you know what, email stinks. I'm going to build a better email system. And then what they do is they hack something together, they get it in front of customers, customers use it and say, you know what, I like these things, I don't like those things. Uh, then you go back to the drawing board and you change it. Um, you get more and more experience with customers, the product changes. At the same time, the market all around you changes. So what CRMs are expected to do is changing. What email looks like is changing. The way we use email is changing. And so if you fast forward a few years after you've mucked around with the thing and you're out of MVP and you've now got a product in the market, what you have often looks very different than the thing that you originally set out to build. And so but you, as the inventor, you've always thought of it as email. You've always thought of it as whatever it was that you set out to build. And so, but the thing you've got now maybe looks really, really different and could possibly be more understandable and better positioned in a completely different market. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't own that process yourself, your customers will, and they'll actually often position your product for you and sometimes not in, in a favorable way. Uh, That's exactly it. Like what will happen is the, the customer will say, you're saying this thing is CRM, but when I look at it, it looks like team collaboration or some other thing. And so I don't understand why there's a gap between those two things and I'm either just going to decide for myself what it is, because what you told me it is, doesn't make any sense to me, um, or I'm just going to decide, you know what, that thing's stupid. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore it because I can't figure it out. The problem is, is that your customers may actually position it in a way that you don't like or that doesn't leverage your strengths. So um, I have an example I use a lot about a company that I worked with that developed a new kind of database and we were database people and it never occurred to us this, this, this thing could be anything other than a database. And so uh, customers thought it was a database for the most part and they were like, oh, database, but they didn't want a database. And in fact, their idea of a database was a thing that did a lot of different things. And what we did was analysis and we were very specifically focused on that. Later, we repositioned it as a business intelligence tool, which made a lot more sense because then it was okay that we only did analysis because that's what business intelligence tools do. And databases right. do a lot more than just analysis. And so 
If I leave this up to my customers to figure out, they will either decide it's something that may not be as good as what you would decide it is, or they'll decide it's just stupid and they'll ignore it and forget about it. Now, the company you're with was fortunate enough to have you, but in your mind, who owns the positioning process? This is a really great question. So I get asked this a lot. Um, You know, I get asked this by product managers because they often see the gap in positioning early. I also get asked this by marketers because they'll see the gap as well. And so the problem is that positioning, deciding to do a shift in positioning is often a bit like saying, we're going to do a shift in our whole go-to-market strategy. So, you know, if I'm the marketing department, I can't just say, hey, you know what, guys, we're not email anymore, we're chat. (laughs) I think the CEO is going to have something to say about that. (laughs) And so generally, um, even though there are particular departments that may have the early warning signs that positioning has gone bad, Um, the entire executive team together needs to come together and agree on what the new positioning should be. So in the work that I do with, um, with companies, I'm often brought in as this kind of neutral third party person that knows a lot about positioning, but, you know, isn't an employee, isn't saddled with the baggage of, oh, this is the way we've always thought about this thing. And my job is to get the whole executive team together and then facilitate a discussion around, hey, we've always said this is our differentiation. Is it really? Like, are we actually comparing ourselves to the same competitors that our customers do? And is this really the best market for us to be in? And so it's tricky because one team cannot own a change in positioning, particularly if it's big. Uh, But what they can do is champion up to the executive team, look, we need to at least look at this. Maybe we're not going to change it, but we all need to get together and spend a couple days and sit down and evaluate it because if the positioning is weak, everything downstream from positioning is weak. So it's kind of a team thing. No, absolutely. Now, when they all get together, the first thing they probably will talk about is the positioning statement. You had said in another podcast that the positioning statement is potentially harmful. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. Usually what I say is the positioning statement is stupid and harmful. <laughs> That's usually what I say. So you're, you're being polite. I'm sure I said bad things about the positioning team. Here's the thing. Like when I first started in marketing, I actually had no degree in marketing. I have a degree in engineering, but, but I, you know, talked my way into this startup and I ended up in the marketing team. And, you know, so eventually I'm running marketing teams and I always thought, wow, this positioning thing, is so important. I wonder how we should do it. And I keep, coming across this thing, this positioning statement, which if you've never seen one, it's this kind of fill in the blanks, mad libs exercise. You know, we are a blank for blank that delivers blank. And in the blanks, you write down, this is my target market. This is my differentiators. These are my competitors. This is whatever. And whenever I saw that, I thought, well, that can't be how we do it because that's just writing stuff down. And like, what if I'm wrong? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, how do I actually figure out what's in the blanks? No, exactly. And it's amazing. Like, you know, I kept seeing this in class after class. And at some point I got this big fancy executive job at IBM and we were doing this release of a new product. 
looked and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm going to see how the experts do this. And sure enough, there's that bloody positioning statement again. I'm like, I can't believe this is how we do this. And so, so the first, the first step is I think it's stupid because the blanks seem pretty important, but it doesn't tell you how to fill in the blanks. And then even when you do fill in the blanks, what do I do with a positioning statement when I'm done? Like, can the marketing department use this for anything? No. Can product management use it to set priorities on new features? No. Like, in fact, does anybody ever refer back to one? In my experience, never. Like, you write one of these things, it goes in the drawer, it never comes out. So that's the stupid part. The potentially harmful part is... The way the exercise is structured by saying, you know, just fill in the blanks, it tricks you into thinking that the blanks are easy and obvious, and all I have to do is write down the first thing that pops into my head, and that will be the best thing. And in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Like, I could position almost any product in multiple different markets, not just two different markets, 10 different markets. And so how do I know which one is the best? And is the one that pops into my head the best? Uh, frequently not at all. No. So it's, it's harmful in that it kind of tricks you into thinking, hey, this is obvious. There's only one way to position this thing and it's the obvious way and that's it. Write it down and we're done. Um, so I don't think anyone should ever do a positioning statement because I think what it does is it ingrains anything good, bad or whatever. Whatever you're currently thinking, it allows you to just sort of write that down and say, wipe my hands. We're done with positioning. Next thing. And I think that's potentially super harmful to your business. Now, obviously if positioning is not a statement or, or a sentence, hmm. it, it's probably a process like we, we've been talking about. Is there a, a process or, or methodology that you would recommend or that you found uh, useful? Yeah. So this has become kind of so the thing I've been focused on for the last couple of years. So a couple of years ago, I was running a startup and we sold it. And, um, and after that, I thought I'm going to do some consulting. And in particular, I decided I'm going to go way down the rat hole on positioning because this has always vexed me and I'm going to figure out how we should actually do this. And so I started by looking at the positioning statement and saying, okay, the blanks are really important, right? What market you're in is important. Your differential Differentiated value is important. That comes from your different, your differentiated features. We figured those out by looking at our competitive comparables. And then what market category you put yourself in is super important too. So if we think those are the components, all I got to do is figure out how do we do the best possible job of determining what each of the components are. And so at first I thought it was my going in theory. Well, we just need to figure out how to do the blanks and then we'll have a good posi uh, positioning process. But then the more I scratched in it, um, the reason we don't have a good positioning process, because it's really super hard. Part of the reason it's super hard is that each of the components actually has a relationship to each other. So if I say, um, you know, our differentiated features are X, Y, Z, but they're only differentiated when I compare them to a competitor. Now, if I just assume these are my competitors, I might actually get that wrong because me as someone inside the company might see the competitive landscape very, very different than a customer does. 
And quite frequently, particularly in B2B, when you go and talk to your customers, the folks that really love you, and you say, you know what, if, if we all got hit by a bus next week and we didn't exist anymore and you couldn't have this product anymore, what would you do? Often, the answer to that question is really surprising because what we're expecting them to say is, oh, there's these five other products that I would use. But a lot of times what the answer is, ah, you know, I probably just go back to using a spreadsheet or, oh, you know, maybe I just hire an intern to do it. Or, you know, if you guys weren't there, none of the other things really fit what I'm doing. So, you know, I just wouldn't do anything. (laughs) So the first step is you got to figure that out. And so, so I need to figure out competitive comparables because that tells me how I'm unique. And then how I'm unique tells me who's a good fit for my offering. So these things actually cascade one from the other. And then once I understand this is my value, these are the people I'm trying to communicate it to, then I can think about market category, which is kind of like thinking about context, right? Like what is the context I wrap around my offering that makes this value really obvious to these customers. So it took me a long, long time to get my little brain around that. But once I did, then I came up with a process where it's like, okay, you have to do this kind of cascading thing where I start with comparables, then I get to unique features, then I get to value the value that those features drive. Then I can tell you, well, these are the characteristics of a customer that makes them really care a lot about that value. Then I can say, okay, this is the value. These are the people. What's the best market for me to position this thing in to make that value obvious to those folks? And then I got positioning. And how you capture it is, you know, you're, you're either writing a document that explains how you got to each one of the five um, components of positioning. Um, or if you want, you can capture it on a one page thing. I have this like positioning canvas cause like startup people like canvases, right? So I have a positioning canvas. If you don't want to have a document cause you don't do documents, uh, I have one of those, but for me personally, and for the workshops that I do where we walk through this process, the output of it is this three, four page document that says, here's the comparables, here's the value, here's the people, here's the market. And more importantly explains, this is how we got there so that you now have a document that you can hand to the marketing department, you can share with the product team, and you can give to a new employee and said to say, this is our value, this is who we're going after, this is the market we're in, this is our positioning right here, and you can use that to build campaigns, build messaging, build whatever you need to build. I think looking at existing alternatives, I think is really important. It actually brings me to another question I had is, yeah, how often should companies be revisiting this positioning process or or even uh, look to reposition? Yeah, this is a a great, great question. So I don't obviously have a a specific timeframe, but I feel like everybody needs to check in on their positioning about every six months. It depends on, there may be a big event that happens in your industry that requires you to take a big look at your positioning. Like, and that would be things like a big competitor moves into your space or there is some new stepwise change in technology or functionality that has the potential to really mix up how customers evaluate solutions in your space. And in which case it it requires you to 
stop and think about what your positioning is. But then there's also the case of uh, the market itself is changing and you're operating in a segment. And so about every six months, I think you need to check in and say, okay, is this still the segment? Is this, you know, we've, we've always said our differentiators are these. Has anything changed? So has is something changed on the customer side that those differentiators just aren't as important anymore or are becoming less or more important? And then are there other things that have happened in the competitive landscape that are making things change? And then the other thing is just simply your traction in the segment. So you might get to the point where you know, you're absolutely dominating a segment, but you're kind of running out of new accounts to look at. Or let's say you're looking to scale growth and you want to bring on five new sales reps and you're like, mm, if I have five new sales reps, plus all the people I already have, and we're all just calling into this segment, I think we may actually have it covered. So we can now start looking at new adjacent segments. And then how does that actually impact the positioning? Because we're now going to have to have positioning that speaks to a broader segment than the one we had before. So in my mind, it's usually you want to really take a check in like twice a year. And as long as you're doing that, like sometimes I've had positioning that's lasted for literally decades. Like I have a product that I worked on my very first product out of university, which we positioned as um, a relational database for mobile devices uh, and then later we tweaked the positioning a little bit to make it a bit more like an embeddable database for, you know, internet of things kind of, but it was still mobile devices. So basically devices right, yeah. and that positioning hasn't changed since we first did it. And I'm trying to think that the original positioning that we did on that, where, you know, we specifically targeted mobile devices for that was in the late nineties. <laughs> So that product is now, you know, a billion dollar business unit in a big, big company. It's been acquired twice. Um, but, but, you know, go to their webpage today and it makes me laugh because the positioning hasn't changed that much. Whereas I've had other products that I worked on where, you know, we repositioned it. Um, it that worked good for about six months. And then we had a very strong competitor enter the market with a hundred million in financing with we had a, a patented differentiator and they came in with a patent on something that actually was kind of like our thing but they did it in a different way so both our things were patentable but to the customers they looked the same <laughs> and suddenly our thing that was our secret sauce kind of wasn't our secret sauce anymore and so we had to very quickly adjust positioning around that and then about a year later they got acquired our biggest partner got acquired and all the cards were up in the air again. <laughs> so we had to go back and say, okay, you know, the playbook from last year is not working for this year. And we had to go back and do another repositioning. So, so sometimes you don't know, like sometimes you have these things and they work and it goes forever. Sometimes you have great turmoil and change and stuff going on in the marketing in the market and in the minds of your customers that it requires a lot of change in a short period of time, but you just don't know. And so the best thing to do is to make sure you're regularly checking in again, being conscious of your positioning is, is half of the battle. And so if you're regularly checking in on it every six months and asking the hard questions, is this still really what we're doing? Is this still the best way to express the value? Is this still really the way people think about the market that we're in? Uh, if you're doing that every six months, you're probably pretty good. 
How have you, this is, I'm going to go off script here. Uh, I've got a, a question. We've been off script this whole time. I, absolutely. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> the, have you ever been in a situation where there, there's already a core product and yeah. now you're launching another product? How have you addressed that in, in the sense of not watering down the the company brand if it's built a, a bit of a, say, a micro brand? Oh, yeah, market? yeah. Yeah, this is a great this is this is a, a a great question too. Like the um, most of the positioning work I do is with, like I would say the majority of it is with quite small new companies, like sort of Series A startup. But I am doing an increasing amount of work lately with companies that are a little bit more established, and then they're bringing on a second product or they're doing an acquisition and bringing another product in and they're wrestling with, well, up until now we've been kind of one product. And so the positioning for the company is the same as the positioning yes. for the product. Now we have two products and now what do we do? <laughs> and so the first thing is you need to really have a look at the way your sales model works because that will impact the way you want to put a face on this thing for customers. So if your sales model is that uh, most people will buy product number one and then product number two is kind of an add-on to product number one, then I think you'll, you will have company positioning that is primarily based on product number one, but gives you enough of a flavor so that product number two isn't a shock. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a land and expand approach. Yeah, right? so a lot of people do that where it's land and expand and whatever. Like, I mean, if you look at, and this might be a, this might be a bit of a stretch as an example, but I personally think it's true. If I look at Salesforce, they have a ton of products and some of those products are massive, and they are outside of the core of what Salesforce does, which is CRM. But if you don't have CRM, you don't use any of those products. <laughs> and so no. I really think that when people think of Salesforce, they think of CRM because you buy that first. Mm -hmm. And then you worry about all the other things. So the other things, often the other things need to have their own positioning because a customer has a choice. So you know, if I want a marketing tool to work with my Salesforce, I could buy the Salesforce stuff or I could buy Eloquor or Marketo or something else. And that marketing thing has to be able to stand on its own. So it needs its own positioning and it needs to be strong. But I don't have to worry too much about at the company level, making sure that I'm covering every single product in there. My positioning should be more about what's the first thing I'm going to sell you, the main thing I'm going to sell you. The company at the company level. Now, sometimes what you have is a company like IBM that has seven different divisions, and each one of those divisions is billions of dollars of revenue. And there are loads of IBM customers that use a bunch of stuff from one division and nothing from the other division, or vice versa. In which case, you still need a story that covers the whole company. But that story has to encompass, why do I want to do business with IBM? Period. Right, yeah. And it needs to kind of stretch across all seven of the brands so that there's a reason for me to buy multiple things from you and go on a journey with you down multiple different paths. But then each group of products underneath that company brand 
also needs to have their own positioning because there's some people that won't come at it from IBM. They'll say, you know what, what I want is what I want is middleware. What I want is, uh, you know, cloud stuff. What I want is artificial intelligence, and that's all I care. And I kind of don't want the rest of the IBM stuff, at least not right now. So I'm coming in. The entry point is in there, and that's got to stand on its own as well. So. For small companies, I think you're always starting with one product, positioning of the company, positioning of the product is the same. When you get into multiple products, you need to check in and say, you know, is it a hierarchy where I've got company positioning and that positioning encompasses the multiple products underneath? Or am I really just stretching it a little bit because it's kind of land and expand? I'm going to do the first product first and then the other things come later. So there's some nuances to it. But the minute, the minute you get into multiple things, that's that's it gets a bit more tricky, which also brings me to, I get a lot of startups come and they tell me, look, uh, you know, my company name is XYZ, my product name is ABC, and I have to position both those things differently uh, when in fact they only have one product. And I think, oh my God, you're, do- you're making a lot of work for yourself for no exactly. reason. If you only have one yeah. product, let's, let's just call it one thing. And the brand is, you know, the brand is the company is the product is the positioning is the same for all things. Then you just have one thing and, and make your life easy until very few companies actually survive long enough to have two successful products. No, absolutely. And, and I mean, obviously we're talking strategy and, you know, going back to something I heard you say, I think it was in a podcast, uh, and I'm not going to ask you, you know, what, what advice would you give yourself, uh, your younger self, but I will say that <laughs> people always ask me that. And I yeah. always say, would you ask me that if I was young? I yeah, know. no, exactly. <laughs> I, I refuse. It's, it's, that's it's how you know you're cliche. old. People start asking you that. So, you know, if you weren't so old, April, what would, what advice? Would you have? <laughs> Well, the, well, I I won't necessarily agree with you because I guess on my podcast, uh, but I will not. It's it's too much of a cliche. But what I what I I want to uh, address though is you, you you've answered typically that you would spend more time on strategy uh, and the big picture versus versus tactics. And so, talk to me more about why you think that's so important. Yeah. So you know the 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 thing that I always that this is my counseling I give to people that are just starting out is, and I use myself as the negative example. So when I started, I was really interested in marketing. Like I just thought marketing was cool. And, and I was really interested in being able to do stuff in marketing and do it perfect. So, you know, we were in the early days of paid ads and I really wanted to understand how paid ads worked. And I got really deep into like, how do you set up campaigns and how do you optimize them and how do you make them work? And, uh, you know, and then new tactics came along and we were doing things like, you know, do a webinar. How do I do perfect webinar? What's the best tech to use? And if you go to marketing conferences, or you read stuff on the internet, like a lot of it is really focused on how to do an amazing job at tactical stuff. But what I wish I had spent more time on sooner is, you know, you, you obviously still need to know all that tactical stuff and execution is super important and super hard to get right. Yes. But we often get so deep focused on tactical stuff that we don't back up and say, you know what, is this even the tar? Is these even the people I want to market to? <laughs> like at the beginning, I never questioned the inputs to my tactics. So I was running a, you know, I was running campaigns and I'd say, who's our target market? And my boss would say, 
oh, Fortune 1000 companies. And I'd say, okay, <laughs> I just run off and try to get paid for that. Whereas knowing what I know now, um, you know, a lot of those campaigns I run, were they were doomed to failure because my segmentation was weak, because I didn't really understand the value. I didn't really understand our key differentiators. I never questioned the inputs. Somebody else gave me those. My boss gave me those. And I just assumed they were well thought out and they were good and they were right. <laughs> but I wish at a younger age, and, and now I'm all about this stuff, but the, the, the difference between senior me and junior me was senior me when somebody came and said, hey, this is our target market. These are our differentiators. This is, this is our value. I'd say, really? How do we know that? <laughs> and I'd spend as much time getting really tight on all that stuff and verifying that all that stuff was, was correct. I'd spend as much time on that as I would on tuning and tactics and operations and getting the stuff done right. Because if the, up, if the inputs are bad, the outputs are bad, even if you're executing perfectly, it's like we say in programming, right? It's just garbage in, garbage out. And I never worried. I'd assumed that everything coming in was golden. And in fact, everything was coming in. For the most part, I was getting a lot of garbage in there. And so it didn't matter if my tactics were flawless. I was still going to get missed sort of results. And I wish I had spent more time thinking about markets and less time thinking about marketing. Yeah. And I often find when I get in conversations with people like this uh, about strategy and tactics, uh, I find that either someone is leaning towards strategy or leaning towards tactics where, you know, as I get more uh, seasoned, we'll say, uh, it's, it's always, you know, I always find the answer to a lot of things is both. <laughs> and, oh, totally. And, and nobody and, likes that answer. And no one likes that answer. <laughs> and I also find that strategy become has, can be defined differently in terms of being more iterative. It, it can be, uh, mm -hmm. you know, more on sprints, more on creating hypotheses and creating and going through like a scientific method, as opposed to creating a large strategy doc that, as, as we've talked about, you know, just you, you set it and you forget it and you put it in a shelf. So I think, I think the definition of what strategy is, uh, you know, you could have business strategy, marketing strategy, or tactical strategy. And I think a lot of times people are, are thinking that it's just this thing that you're, you're, you're talking about, and then you're going to write uh, a document about, and then you'll, and then you'll leave it on the shelf. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily. That's actually a really good observation. Like, I think there is, there is often kind of a reaction to some of this stuff that people are like, Oh God, we, are we really still doing that? Like, this is like my granddad did that, you know, like, are we, you know, we're going to write a strategy document that sounds so boring and impractical and unactionable. And, that, that's kind of not my idea of strategy at all, but I could, you know, I can't blame you for thinking that because I mean, at the beginning, I thought that too. And, and my thing is more, it's not so much about strategy. You know, again, my, my background systems design engineering. So I'm like, there's inputs and there's outputs. Yeah. <laughs> so I always think about that. And I'm like, and I'm like, the inputs are the things that we assume are true. Exactly. Yep. It may or may not be true. And, and, and the, I'm all about this, you know, the inputs need to be really actionable and they're not always actionable, right? It's particularly when we're talking about segmentation, right? Like, like the, in order for a segmentation to be actionable, I need to be able to build a really, really tight targeted campaign around it. So if my input 
doesn't give me that, then I got the wrong input. And I need to go figure out what the right input is, because if I put that in there, all I'm going to get out is full page ad in the Wall Street Journal, which doesn't get you anything. So it's that stuff that I keep coming around on. And I, and I don't know whether you call that strategy, you know, right now it's, right now it's really trendy to talk about branding Yes, and, and people are spending a lot of time talking about branding, but a lot of the way people are defining branding right now sounds pretty strategic to me. And it, it's not the way I would define branding, but you know, at the beginning, I, like I spend a lot of time saying, you know what, in B2B, I don't think brand is all that important. And recently I had a guy come up to me and say, what? Like your, your brand is remote and all this stuff. <laughs> and I said, well, let's look up branding in the dictionary, right? And, and branding in the dictionary said, you know, uh, uh, how the way you communicate your product, what your product or company is all about through advertising and graphical elements. And I was like, is that how you define branding? He's like, absolutely not. Uh, you know, the, the brand is a complete experience of how a customer experiences your product and your value and everything else. And so the more we talked about it, the more I thought, yeah, well, if that's what branding is, then I'm all about branding. <laughs> that's not my, my idea, but, but a lot of the stuff he's touching on, I, you know, some of that is positioning, some of that I would call strategy. But if, if that's what branding is, then I, then, then I love branding too. Yeah, it's all based on the context or the life cycle of the either business or product. So branding is important. It, it just depends on where you are in that product life cycle and how important that is. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's not important even in the beginning. It's just, it's a weighted process, how much effort you put in that. I'll tell you, I, you know, I, if, if branding is like, you know, graphical elements and look and feel and font and how you use images and your brand tone of voice and blah, blah, blah. I can point you to literally dozens of billion dollar companies that, have none of that and yet have easily cleared a billion dollars. Like most of them, big enterprise stuff. I worked for a company that did 32 billion and you should have seen the website. You would have cried. And we never had a single conversation about brand voice. There was no brand uh, like reference guide to tell you how to use the logo or what fonts you should use or whether you did illustrations or pictures or whatever, 32 billion revenue. How do they do that? An army of direct salespeople. Uh, every single account they had was, was tens of millions of dollars. And so when you're that high touch, you know, the alternative, nobody comes to the website. Now, is no. the way they sell in that situation super important? Yes, it is. And you may even argue that their brand in that particular case is the experience they have with the actual sales reps. And so if you're saying branding is customer experience, then yeah, they did spend a lot of time thinking about worrying about branding, but that's not how I define branding. So, you know, you know what's terrible about marketers? We like to stretch the definitions of things. That's part of what we're really good at. But it's <laughs> we kind of we've kind of pooped in our own nest in a way, in that it's gotten so bad that we can't even we can't even agree on what does positioning mean, what does branding mean, what's a segmentation, what's what's like name your marketing term. We've ruined it for ourselves in that we can't even agree on consistent terminology across very basic marketing concepts. 
No, I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And obviously your book that you're, you're writing is going to at least solve the problem for positioning. We'll, we'll take, <laughs> yeah, we'll I should be pitching her. the book. I'm a bad book, book pitching lady. Yeah, no, the book is, the book is going to solve positioning if, you know, not for everybody, but for certain people, if you're a tech company in your early stage, I gotcha. Yeah. And is, is that, is that why you decided to write it? Like, give me a sense of like, what, what was it? Was it just coming back to these conversations over and over and realizing, you know what, it's, it's time. What was your kind of, what was the inflection point there? Well, okay. So the first thing was like, I had my own intellectual curiosity on this, like, you know, there's gotta be something better than the positioning statement. And so if we're going to do positioning, how do we actually do it? And I just kind of wanted to know that for myself because I had been doing positioning over and over but I don't, I don't think I was actually following a real methodology. And I thought I should have that. And so it took me a long time to figure it out. And then even when I got it figured out, then I thought, oh, I could teach this to someone. And I was having this conversation with this startup accelerator that I'm an entrepreneur in residence for. And they said, yeah, great, come in and teach the course. And the first time I taught the course, it was terrible. So, so first I had to figure it out. Then I had to figure out how to teach it, which turned out to be its own separate challenge. Uh, but then once I nailed that, I thought, okay, that's it. I've got it. This thing deserves to be written up in a book. And then I could just let it out there. Like, I don't even care if anybody buys it, but if you know if you have this problem and you need to know how to do positioning i could now instead of having 19 coffee meetings with you i can now say hey <laughs> there's this thing it costs like 15 bucks knock yourself out and all your questions are answered and 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 i got you when's the expected launch date for for the book pre-orders are going to open up soon and then the actual book will be uh, uh, available and shipping by middle of May. So, oh wow, we're great. getting in the home stretch on this thing, man. Yeah. So before we start to wrap up, I'm going to ask you a couple questions in, in what I call a quick fire round. So I'm going to say a statement. You're going to have about 60 seconds or less to to answer. Are you ready? Oh, I'm totally ready. Artificial intelligence fills you with dread or hope. Pick one. Dread, mainly. I don't think we're smart enough to do artificial intelligence well and get all the biases and crap out of it. And I think it's going to be a lot worse before it gets better. Your favorite app or tool and why? Right now, I'm really enjoying Zoom. And a combination of Zoom and Calendly is making my uh, meeting scheduling life really easy. And I am thankful for both of those things. So next question, what do you believe that others disbelieve? I believe venture capital is, is more harmful than helpful in an early stage startup. I believe that startups are better. Startups will perform better if they focus on a really small market and grow organically rather than grow with outside funding. And, and I, I believe that nice people, like people that are genuinely good people actually make better CEOs and all of these things. I think most startup people that I meet don't believe those things are true. I would actually agree. The last thing I'll ask is where can people find 
you on the interwebs? Uh, so the best place is my website, which is aprildunford.com. And so, you know, if you're looking for updates on what's happening with a book and all that stuff, you can go on there and sign on to my email list. But if you don't like email, like a lot of us, um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at April Dunford if you, do, if you still do Twitter. Well, I've signed up. I'm waiting for the pre-sales. Uh, April, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be a guest. And it was really great talking to you today. Yeah, it was great chatting with you too. This has been super fun. Thanks so much for having me on. Not at all. It was my pleasure.